You are listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, orlandocitychurch.com. Today, Lead Pastor Eugene Smith will continue with our series called Plugged In. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he was teaching us to serve. Serving one another, having communion, connects us with one another and ultimately connects us to God. Our scripture text comes from John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Today's message is entitled, Connecting with One Another. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. Number 1. The Bible says it was just before the Passover feast. And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to portray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took out his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no Part with me. Then, the, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, A person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed If you do them, let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, I ask for the work and the power of your Holy Spirit to be released in this service. God, I ask you that that what has been spoken, what has been declared already through song and through our giving and through our our generosity and now through the declaration of this word, God will change our hearts. We thank you that you said heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will live forever. I thank you for the story today. I thank you for this truth that you lived when you walked on this planet. I thank you for your amazing grace and what you desire to do in the hearts of every person here. I ask this, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. I want to make one announcement. Next Sunday, third service, Mike Cruz and Vanessa Lopez are going to be getting married at the very end of the service. we got to give the Lord a great big hand clap for that one. Here's a couple that four months ago, five months ago, came to City Church and on a Sunday morning gave their lives to Jesus. They just said they knew. They didn't know. I didn't know what we were talking about. They had never been in a church like this before, but the Lord demonstrated his love. And over the last five months, 
Their lives have been radically changed, and they are getting married as a public demonstration to this congregation of the goodness of God. Living together for 10 years, two children, next Sunday, third service. So you want to come back and celebrate with them. It'll be a great time of celebration for our family. We love to celebrate. Well, this is a fascinating story this morning that we've read. As a matter of fact, it's probably one of the most popular stories ever told about the life of Jesus. I worked for 10 years in the restaurant business, and I have lots of experience at, wa- uh, at waiting on tables. Lots of experience. One time I tried to count, when I first started, I used to try to count how many tables I waited on every night. But after doing it for 10 years, it's like how to, trying to keep track of how many times I've preached. It's just, you lose track. You've waited on so many people and, and had so many experiences. And I've seen lots of things happen at restaurant dining room tables. Lots of things. I've seen lots of good things happen. I've seen people get engaged. I've seen bad things happen. I've seen people fall over sloppy drunk. I've seen famous people. I've seen people not so famous. I've seen, people, I've seen good people, and I've seen some really bad characters at restaurant dining room tables. I've seen everything. Things that I would never tell you. Things that I've been sworn to secrecy, and they told me they're going to poke my eyes out and cut off my tongue if I ever said anything. I mean, I've seen just about everything that you could possibly imagine take place in a restaurant. Things that you can't believe. I mean, if somebody would have told me these kinds of things would happen in a restaurant, I'd say, you're crazy. But I've seen lots of things happen. When I was working as a young man, this particular restaurant that I worked for, the owner was named Drew Vactor. And Drew Vactor, in the back of the restaurant, had these great big signs. And all over the back of the restaurant, he had these initials, A-W-I-G-O. Everyone say that with me. A-W-I-G-O. Now, that was an acronym. And it stood for aware of what is going on around you. That's what it stood for. Aware of what is going on around you. Being aware of what is happening around you. Now, you know, they tell us in leadership principles there are three kinds of people. There are people who wonder what happened. There are people who look at what happened. And then there are people who make it happen. There are three kinds of people. There are people that are just kind of wandering through life. They're, just, they're, not even, you know, they're, they're not even sure what's happened. They're just kind of stumbling along. And there are people that kind of see it happen but don't know what happened. And then there are people who make it happen. And Jesus was the kind of person who was a wego. He was the kind of person who made it happen. He was a leader. There was a need. We read in our story here that these brothers had come together for a celebration. They had come together for the Passover feast. Now, this weekend, in the Jewish tradition, they celebrated the conclusion of Rosh Hashanah, which was Yom Kippur. Very interesting. Yom Kippur started Friday night at sundown and and ended Saturday night. Last night at sundown, our ladies were experiencing the presence of God, the power of God. And Yom Kippur literally stands for, remember, remember your need for God, remember the times you've sinned against Him, repent, turn from those things, and then rejoice at His goodness and His grace. That's literally what Young Kippur stands for. Last night, our ladies, they had a great big bonfire after so many of them got set free, and they were celebrating. My wife said they went into the room last night after they had their bonfire, and they were dancing and rejoicing and expressing the goodness of God and His deliverance in their life. They truly celebrated Young Kippur. Most of them didn't even know it was Young Kippur. We didn't plan it that way. It just happened to work out that way last night. But celebration is something that we understand. We understand celebrating. A sports team wins a great event 
and the team celebrates. You have something great. You get a raise and your paycheck and you celebrate. Everyone said celebrate. Well, the Passover was a celebration. It was a celebration of something that had taken place 1,400 years previous to this. 1,400 years before this, God raised up a man by the name of Moses. Moses would become their deliverer. God would hear the cries of his people. God would see the tyranny, the oppression that his people had lived under for over 400 years at the hand of the Egyptians. And finally, God said, enough is enough. And he raised up this man to be their deliverer. After God had warned Pharaoh ten different times, God finally brought a death angel that passed through the land. And the only people that were spared were the people that had the blood of a spotless lamb that was over the doorpost and over the lintels or the side of the door. Therefore, it was called Passover. And for 1,400 years to this very day, 3,400 years later, the Jewish people still celebrate. They still look back on this time as a time of celebration. Time of celebration. Jesus was a Jew, and he was in relationship and connected to people who were Jews. All the disciples were Jews. All of them had grown up under a Judaistic system. All of them were familiar with the stories of the Old Testament that we preached and the people that we study and they look at and we look at to this day. And Jesus was with these men and he lived with them for three years. For three years they celebrated Passover. At least two different times in the Gospels we have direct reference to Jesus going to Jerusalem to attend the Passover. It was one of the three pilgrimages that a good Jewish person would make. But there was something that was happening here. There was something that was happening in the life of the disciples. You see, Jesus was modeling. He was showing them what it was to truly be connected to God and to one another. And he gave one of the most, he gave one of the most classic demonstrations that anybody could ever give. He sat down. And he had a meal. I want you to put that picture up of Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. Can you put that up for me? You guys know this painting. This is a very, very famous painting. There are lots of things that take place at a meal. There are lots of things that happen when people sit down and have a meal together. This Passover meal, this was a time really of celebration. It was a time, it would be kind of like a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas meal that we would celebrate. Our families would come together. This kind of celebration, the Passover wasn't a celebration that took place inside of the temple. This was something that took place in people's homes, or it took place here at a hotel, or took place at another individual's home. They had rented a room, and the disciples were gathering together. And normally this festival or this feast would, would have family. Now there's no mention of family at this particular Passover remembrance, but normally the family, the children, would be involved. Pastor Glenn read that verse from the Psalms. And, and even to this day in the Sadar, they finished the Passover meal with a song, passing this story on to the next generation. Sitting at a table, things happen. Sitting at a restaurant table and talking, things begin to break down in people's lives. People begin to share information and talk. I, I read a story this week about a man who was interviewing at a job, and he went out to dinner with the people that were interviewing him, and and he got so comfortable with the individual at the table, he began to tell them how he was working the system at, the, at this other company that he was working at, how he was riding the clock and he was setting up all these systems so that he could kind of take advantage of the company. And the president of the company was listening to this guy tell him this story about where he was presently working at. 
Well, do you think he got the job at that new company? Not a chance. No way. He got too loose at the dining room table. Things happen. We, we tend to let down our guard. We, we tend to be more relaxed. We, we tend to have a deeper sense of communion and fellowship. And the New Testament. The New Testament, this concept for fellowship, this concept for communion that we take once a month here at City Church, the word is koinea. And it literally means, it literally means a deep connection with one another. A deep connection. Something happens when you take a little meal like a McSkillet burrito sausage with somebody. Anybody want this McSkillet burrito sausage this morning? Anybody want that? Or you better come up and grab it real quick. I'm going to hand this out before you want to take it. But this deep sense of spiritual connection that happens at a table. There is a spirit. It's natural and spiritual. It's natural and spiritual. There, there is natural significance to this celebration this time of the Passover. But it also had deep spiritual meaning to the people that were involved in. You see, at the table, at this particular table, they were connecting. They were connecting culturally. They were connecting culturally. They, their, culture, their, their culture had this time that they set aside, and, and they would celebrate this Passover feast. They connected in community. They connected in these final moments. I find this interesting. that it, In the final moments of Jesus' life, the final moments of Jesus' life, he knew that he was going to die. We read the story. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that Judas was about to betray him. And the Bible says that even though he knew that, even though he knew that he was going to be betrayed, he wants to hang out with his homeboys. He wants to hang out with his best friends. He wants to share his final moments with the men who had lived the last three years sharing life together, doing ministry together eating around the table together, you know, doing stuff with their families together. They had seen so many things. They had heard Jesus teach so many people. I mean, they had really read the crest and the wave of extreme popularity among the religious world of their day. Jesus was the, the TBN star. Jesus was the superstar of his day. I mean, the people would come from miles, literally hundreds of miles, to hear Jesus teach. They had never heard or seen anyone do the kinds of things that Jesus did. These guys, they serve together, shoulder to shoulder. What happens in community with men, this is how it works. For men, men connect when they serve shoulder to shoulder. All the men say shoulder to shoulder. Men connect shoulder to shoulder. A couple of years ago, there was a group of us, two years in a row, we went to Mexico and built the church. The five or six men that went on that trip, traveled to Mexico, went down, built the building. We actually, the first year, we put up the walls and got the, the flooring in and most of the electrical running. The second year, we went back and we put the roof on and, and we finished the building so they could have church. And there was a connection that happened because we served shoulder to shoulder. The guys that were with me saw me work like they'd never seen me work. As a matter of fact, I mean, you know, I'm just wired this way, but I can work alongside of anyone. And although I'm not normally an outside working guy, when I got to be an outside working guy, I was an outside working guy. And I remember at one point, they were begging me to stop, but we had work to do. And I was pushing construction guys who worked every day out in the field. I was pushing them to the very last moment to keep going. And they're going, oh, man, this guy is nuts. What happened to him? Well, what happened to me is I saw there was a mission. I knew our time was short. We had something to do. But the guys that went on that trip, we connected 
shoulder to shoulder. Women connect differently. Women connect face to face. Women connect in community, talking with one another. These, these women that are over in our encounter, the experience, they have 10 small groups. They hear a teaching session on some uh, spe- uh, specific area, and then they'll break up into small groups and they'll talk about it. And my wife was telling me some of the things that you know, women will share with other women. Things that they talk about their relationships and their family and their past experiences with their mother or with their father. They really open up. And women connect generally face to face. But men don't generally like to share their deepest secrets. Usually if a guy starts opening like that up around most other guys, most of the guys in the room are thinking, oh my goodness, TMI, TMI. You know, too much information. Because most guys don't want to hear your deepest sorrow as darkest secrets. It's just not the way we're wired. Now, is it important? Yes. It's important to have relationships with people who you share your life with. But these guys connected shoulders to shoulders. There was a true love. There was a sense of fellowship and community and connection that took place with these men. I mean, they really love one another. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I'm about to show you the full extent of my love. I'm about to show you the full extent of my love. There was a love among these guys. But you know what? As I begin to read this story, I begin to realize, you know, Every, almost everyone loved one another in this group. Almost everyone loved one another, but not everyone. As a matter of fact, there was someone in that group who really didn't love Jesus. He loved himself. Jesus came to give. This other person came to get. He came to take. As a matter of fact, when you read through the accounts of the gospel and you see the life of this other person, there are times it's mentioned that he was in control of the money bag. Or he was a thief and as a matter of fact, his first mention in one of the Gospels, they say Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. See, they almost all loved each other, but there was one that didn't love Jesus the way that the others loved him. You know, what I've found, and you go to a local church, and you start to get in connection, you start to get in community. I mean, there are people who love one another, but there are always people in the group who have issues. There are always people there who, who are there for their own taking, for what they can get rather than what they can give. It's about their ministry. It's about what they do. And if you say something to them and it's a little bit, you know, corrective in any kind of nature, they get offensive and they walk out the door and you're the worst person in the world. I tell my staff all the time, I say, if people get offended at you, I said, people will still continue to come to City Church. But the moment someone gets offended at me or something I say or something I do, they're out the door. I mean, they leave. It's just the way it goes for every pastor. It's the way people view you. And this man, had, for whatever reason, had gotten offended at Jesus. He'd gotten offended at Jesus. And he was willing to portray Jesus for a little bit of money. You know, but I, I thought about that in our culture today. I thought about what people are willing to do for a little bit of money. This weekend, there's a woman in Virginia who's going to experience execution. She's going to be the first woman in 100 years to be executed in the state of Virginia. And the governor is not going to give her her stay. They're actually going to execute this woman. And when I begin to read the story, what I discovered is that this woman had her husband and her son-in-law murdered for a little bit of insurance money. And not only, I mean, you know, some people talk about it. She actually followed through and had them murdered for a little bit of insurance money. A little bit of money. Betrayal. Betrayal of her husband. Betrayal of her son and her son-in-law. Amazing. Amazing what people will do for money. Amazing who people will sleep with or what people will steal or what people will try to do to get a little bit of money. It's an amazing thing. 
Paul the Apostle said it like this, the love of money is the root of all evil. He didn't say money was the root of all evil. He said the love of money. People pursue wealth in our culture because of what it brings them. But the reality is when you start to fall in love with that and what it can get you, you get a distorted perspective on life. And you will find yourself doing things that you never knew that you would do. You see, Jesus had true love. There are people that he loved. There are people who didn't love him. And as a matter of fact, at this table, there was someone who absolutely hated Jesus. There was someone who hated him. And there was someone that Jesus hated. And he was the devil. The devil was at this table. Do you know that? If you read the rest of this story, the devil was at this table. You know, the devil wants to come to kill and to destroy your life. You know, later, Peter would write, write about the devil. He says, be on your guard. He says, Satan is like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The enemy hates you today. The enemy was standing right there waiting to destroy Judas's life. But not only that, he was right there waiting to destroy the purpose of God that was going to be done through Jesus. Satan was at the table. You know, Satan shows up in this church every week. Satan shows up in every church every week because he wants to tempt people. He wants to tempt you that when you hear the word of God, something in you says, oh, that's not true. I don't believe it. Something that's clearly taught in the word of God. Some truth. I've seen it over and over and over again. I've seen it in relationship to people who live together. People who live together with not, without being married. And the Bible is so clear that if you live with someone and you're having sexual relations with them and you're not married, it's called fornication. And if you continue down that process over a long period of time, it causes separation from God in your life. It's called sin. It isn't the only sin. There are lots of sins. There are sins of unbelief. There are sins of doubt. There are sins of fear. There are all kinds of things in the Bible that God hates. But one of the greatest things that God hates in the church is people who will sow discord or disunity. People who will talk about other people. Who, people who, who never have a good word to say about someone else. People who always criticize other people. Satan is there to tempt them, to, to try to destroy not only their lives, but to destroy the work that God wants to do. Be self-controlled. Be alert. You see, you contrast the two. You contrast Jesus and Judas. Judas, Jesus came to give. Judas came to give. Jesus came to give. Judas came to get. People of the table. People of the table. Becoming people of the table this morning. The table. A place of fellowship. A place of communion. That's what God's called us to be. Every person in this room needs to be around a table with other believers. Connected in community, with other followers of Christ. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about being in Christian community, being in relationship, being in fellowship with other believers. And, but this is the way it works. It first starts off in being right relationship with God. I call this communion, being connected to God. But the way that you truly show that you are connected to God is by being in communion or connection or community with other believers. Having relationships with other people in your life. You see, the first thing that I want you to see about Jesus and the disciples is that they were people of the table. They spent time around the table, sharing their life and telling the stories. Some of the funniest times I've ever had in my life have been sitting around the table with people, talking about life, talking about things that have happened in ministry, talking about things that have happened in my life. 
But the th- second thing that I want you to see about Jesus is that he was a man of the towel. Everyone say, a man of the towel. The Bible says that Jesus took off his outer clothes. You know, as I read through this, a couple things that struck me. One is that when Jesus was with the disciples, when he was with them, one of the things that I noticed was that any one of them could have jumped up. All of them had dusty feet. All of them had been walking through the streets of Jerusalem. Their feet were dirty. I mean, there was, there was, there was donkey dung. There was camel dung. I mean, the, the streets weren't clean places to walk. I mean, I know sometimes in our, our minds we have these images of, of really clean streets, but the few times that I've been to these horse-drawn parades that have gone down any major city street, I can tell you there's lots of stuff that follows behind the horses. Lots of stuff. And these, these streets were dusty and dirty. They weren't paved concrete or they weren't paved asphalt. And the disciples had all gathered around and the table that they were at, kind of like in Leonardo's picture, they were, they were kind of laid out. And any one of them could have jumped up. But we see something about Jesus. We see the kind of leader that he was. He was a servant leader. He was the first one who recognized the need. He was the first one who recognized the need. He was a wego. He was aware of what was going on around them. They had started to eat. They had actually eaten the meal. And then the Bible says that Jesus took off his clothes. He took off his clothes and he went over and he got water. I begin to think about this story. I begin to think about Jesus pouring this water into there and begin to uh, wash the disciples' feet, what was going to take place. But the thing that struck me was that, that Jesus took his clothes off first. He took his outer tunic off first. And then he filled up the basin with water. You know, as Jesus filled the basin up with that water, water was significant in the Bible because it always represents cleansing. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, he was prophetically telling them what was going to take place in their life. You see, they were dirty. They needed to be cleansed. They needed to be forgiven. This was the Passover meal. The symbolism here is so rich. The forgiveness that God would offer through his son Jesus, through his death on this cross, through his resurrection from the grave. The image is so powerful. The images of Jesus and what he was about to do and the spiritual washing that was about to take place. Over and over in the Bible, you see natural spiritual. I've been, I don't know about you, but I've been to lots of services in my life. As a matter of fact, the church that we came from, the pastor used to like to wash people's feet. You know, the, I mean, for me, I never could quite get it because almost every person in this room took a shower before you came. And as a matter of fact, most of you in this room, if we said, hey, it's time to do a foot washing, and if you're, especially, I mean, not just women, but, you know, you'd want to go home and cut your nails and make sure they were all prettied up and go get a pedicure. And I mean, you want to make sure, I mean, that pastor ain't going to see my feet like that. And I've asked myself over the, over the years, and we'd wash one another's feet, but it didn't make any sense to me. I told Glenda, it never made any sense to me. Washing, okay, we're going to, well, we don't, you know, we wear shoes and I got open-toed shoes this morning. I wear sandals because I got nasty feet and I need to let them breathe. But, but I never liked anybody washing my feet. I, just one of those things. I never liked I mean, it was kind of personal. Somebody came to my office a couple years ago and they wanted to wash my feet. And I said, why? My feet aren't dirty. I mean, if you want to do something for me, go down to Starbucks and get me a latte. I mean, if you want to, you know. I mean, washing my feet, my feet ain't dirty. No, I understood, you know, they were trying to do a humble act. And, but it was an act of humility. 
You know, when Jesus took his outer cloak off, what Jesus was actually saying, what Jesus was actually doing, is Jesus was being very transparent. Jesus was being very transparent. You see, when you get into community with other believers, when we become people of the towel, when we start to serve one another, over 74 times in the New Testament, 74 times in the New International Version, the phrase one another is used. When we start to live out the one another's, serve one another, pray for one another, care for one another, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we start to do acts of kindness and service for one another, we begin to demonstrate what Jesus said, this act of washing feet. Some people have wanted to make this act kind of like a, like a, a, like a, a Christian sacrament kind of like taking communion or kind of like water baptism. But we find no other reference of this in the New Testament. There's no other place. It never takes place in the book of Acts. In Paul's writing to the rest of the church, he never talks about washing feet. It's not a sacrament. This was a practical need that needed to be done. And there was no servant in the room. And so we see the kind of leader that Jesus was. We see the kind of person that Jesus was. We see the kind of life that he lived. You see, Jesus washed their feet because there was a need. Jesus washed their feet because there was a need. You know, the fact is in this community, in this Christian community, there are lots of needs. One of the things that happens when you get into community and you start sharing with one another and you start doing life with one another and you start connecting with other believers is you find out, boy, we all got stuff going on. Every person in the room has stuff going on. Sometimes stuff is a little stuff, but sometimes stuff is a big stuff. And we all need one another. This principle, it's so powerful in the kingdom of God that when we begin to meet the needs of others, we're actually washing their feet. Years ago, I heard this preacher say something like this about reaching his city. He said, when you go back to your city, I want you to find the needs in that community and I want you to fill it. You know what happens when you begin to find the needs of people around you and you start to serve? You start to become a leader. And you know what I found about people who meet needs? People who meet the needs of others and are living a life that's a wego. You know what I find? They never lack employment. People, I'm telling you right now, if you are living a life that's a wego, if you're not just waiting, if you're just not waiting for it to happen, if you're just waiting for it to happen, you might go a long time. But if you are living a life to meet the needs, you won't lack employment because there's so many needs. There are so many needs. There are so many things that need to be done in your community. And as a Christian community, as a Christian community, there are so many needs in the city. There are so many opportunities for us to wash the feet of the people that leave in the city. My wife told me that this week, the local, one of the local uh, agencies here in this community has been sending families almost every day to our food bank. We just completely replenished the food bank and And uh, all of a sudden, we're finding that the need is great. Unemployment in Central Florida is at an all-time high. Unemployment right now is almost 12% in the Central Florida community, which in real numbers is maybe 17 or 18%. There's a lot of people in this community who have need. One of the practical ways that we, as a Christian community, is to wash people's feet is that we that have food can share our food with other people. It's a practical way. Well, how can you meet the needs of other people? Are you living a life that's a wego today? You know, the challenge I gave every person when you came in, I gave you a little blue card. Do you have that blue card this morning? We feel passionate about this. 
We feel passionate about every person here being connected with another believer. Being connected with another, another Christian that you can do life together. Doesn't mean that you're talking to this person every day. Doesn't mean that you're even meeting with them once a week. But you have someone in your life. I challenged our men in the church a couple of weeks ago. Get two or three friends. I mean, get two or three friends you can really develop a close relationship with. That you can call on the phone and say, hey, I got a need. Will you pray for me? Now listen, if you're always calling them and, you're, and your need is always money, and you're always asking them for money, you won't have friends very long. You know that. I mean, it just, you know, I mean, you can't always be a getter. You got to be a giver in relationships. I have lots of friendships. I have lots of friendships. I have friends all over this country. And, and people many times will call me, my, or they'll tell my wife, well, I'm the only person that calls them. I have pastors of large churches, and their wife, their wife told my wife, he's the only person that calls. And in my life, I'm not looking to get anything from those people. I just want to find, I'm just nosy. I'm just curious. I just want to know what's going on in people's lives. I want to know how they're doing, how their church is doing, how their families are doing. I just care. I'm not, I'm not a getter. I want to be a giver with my life. I live my life open-handed. I care about other people. There's something that happens when you start to live your life, to give your life away. Things begin to change. When you have a need, there will be a friend who sticks closer to the bro- uh, than a brother. And so what we've done at City Church is we are looking at ways of, of creating connecting points. Places for you to connect. You know, every person in this room needs grace. Every person in this room needs grace. Many years ago, there was a young man... He was a, a rising star, and he had went to a, a military academy, and he went into the Army, and as a young lieutenant, he was issued a brand-new Colt 45. This Colt 45, you know, was a beautiful gun, and, and, and somehow he misplaced this weapon. Now, you don't misplace your gun in the military. There are consequences for misplacing your gun, and he began to frantically panic. He turned his bunk completely upside down. He went every place that he could think of to look for this gun, and he couldn't find it anywhere. He got a call from, from his captain, and his captain called him into his office, and he said, Lieutenant, we got a problem. Said, What's the problem, sir? He said, we, uh, I, I found your gun. He said, what? He said, I found your gun. He said, yeah, one of the villagers, uh, one of the village children found the gun and they turned it in and they, they'd been firing it off into the air. And so some of the soldiers ran over and took it away from him. He said, I want you to go down the hallway into this room where there's a drawer. I want you to go get your gun. And he said he went down the hallway. And he went to the drawer and he pulled out the gun. And when he looked at the gun, he opened it up and he realized that it had never been fired. He said, you know, that captain, that captain could have turned him in. That captain could have punished him. I mean, there, there's consequences in the military for, for leaving a loaded 45 caliber weapon lying around. But that's not what that captain did. That captain, he kind of blew the story up a little bit, and he scared the you-know-what out of him, and, and, and he made him realize the urgency and the seriousness of what he did, and he sent him on his way. This young man never forgot that. He went on and began to rise up through the ranks of the military, becoming a general. Former George president, when George Bush got elected to be president, he appointed this man to be head of the armed forces and later would become the Secretary of State of the United States of America. His name is Colin Powell. I mean, one man could have destroyed another man's life. 
One man could have wiped that man out. But that man chose to have grace. You know, and because of that person, because that person extended grace to him, his life went on and he flourished. You know, in my life, I've had a similar story. Years ago, years ago, I had a man have grace on me. I should have been fired from a job. I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing. And I was caught by the manager of that restaurant. And I remember the grace that he extended to me. I went on and I finished out my career there and I left as a good employee. And, uh, and I went on and spent another five or six years working my way through the restaurant business. I mean, if he would have turned me in for what I was doing, it would have always been a mark in my life. Always been a mark in my life. But he covered me with grace. And to this day, over 30 years later, I still remember that man's grace. You know, there's something that happens when we cover one another. One of the one another's that we see in the Bible is love one another. Jesus washed their feet. He washed their feet. You see, Jesus was a man at the table. He saw the need. And from that table, he got up and went over and he got the towel. Took his outer cloak off, transparent before them, life exposed. And then he took the water and he began to wash. He began to meet the needs. So that's what happens in community. Needs are met. Lives are changed. A couple of weeks ago in our men's stakeout, our men's, uh, our men's night out, our burger night, we brought Dave Jordan up. Dave Jordan, one of our own, has stage four colon cancer right now. And his band of brothers, the men that he meets with once a month in his small group, they were at the hospital room for him. They were singing songs. They were praying for him. They were coming alongside of him. They've served him. They've helped him. One of the brothers in the church has gone way over the top, but he's his band of brothers, helping him out in other ways and demonstrating the practical kindness of Christ. See, that's grabbing the towel. That's meeting the need. That's, and that would only happen. That would only happen because that brother is in community with other believers. In our church right now, there's another individual who also has cancer. This person has been in our church for a little while. I don't know this person that well, but I know that he's never really got connected in our church. And I see the stark contrast. I see this person who has stage 4 cancer, who's been in small groups and connecting with the other brothers, and who's fellowship with them, and has sat at the table with them, and went fishing with them, and went camping with them, and served shoulder to shoulder with them, and projects here on work days at the church. All of a sudden there's a need, and there's people alongside of them. The other brother, there's no one alongside. I've gone down to visit and a couple in the church have gone down but but there's no relationship there you see in your time of need and we all have them there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother but you got to be a friend first he who has friends must show himself friendly you know this this point of connection this place of relationship is so powerful in the christian church it's the glue it's the glue it's the glue of a relationship with god in my experience my 23 years experience as a pastor, what I find, what I find is that this next step of connecting to the body of Christ for most Christians never happened. It just never happens. People will go from church to church looking for the perfect preacher, the perfect experience, the perfect worship, whatever, and they never find it. It's not until you start to really live your life in community to give it away that you start to get. You don't get abundant life. You don't give the light that Jesus came to give until you start giving it away. Jesus walked the talk. He walked the talk. 
He said, guys, you're to do this also. This is the kind of life that you're to live. You're to go out and wash one another's feet. This week, next week, we're going to have tables set up, and we're going to be having different groups that already are going, and maybe someone in this room has a group that you're part of, or you'd like to start a group. We have a few different ideas of groups that people could start, that you can really start to build relationships. A lot of these groups are groups that you could reach out to people in the community, maybe people outside of faith. People don't have a relationship with God yet, and you can invite them to your group. One of the guys in our church a couple of weeks ago, I went to lunch, he said, I'm going to start a car club. I'm going to get a car club going, and I'm going to and immediately, as soon as he told me that, last week, one of the young men that left here said, tell me about this car club. I mean, what does that mean? What are you guys going to do at the car club? I said, well, I don't know. I said, just put your name down. The guy that's going to start the car club, he'll give you a call. Let you know what they're going to do. You know, there's all kinds of ways that we can connect with people in community and fellowship. There's a group of us on every other Monday night. We go down to Winter Park and we play golf. We just started this, but I can already start to see this community that's starting to take place, this connection and Ben, the leader, is mixing us up so we don't play with the same person two weeks in a row. And we all get to play with different people. And you really get to see how someone plays golf. Or you get to see their character when they play golf. You can see if they're a liar or not when they play golf. But you start to see that community take place. And this church, in this church, the glue. Up to this point this year, already we had over 1,000 people visit for the very first time. Just, just that we know of not including the youth ministry. So many people coming through the doors. And we've been asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we need you today. People are getting saved. People like Mike and Vanessa. People's lives are being, they're saying yes to Jesus. But see, you don't go to that next step. You don't go to that next step in Christian growth until you get connected with other believers. Until you really start to give your life away in relationship. Jesus said, guys, you're to do this. You're to do this. He didn't say, I want you to wash people's feet when there's no need to wash their feet for the rest of their life. He said, no, I want you to, to lead. I want you to find the needs. I want you to begin to serve. On a weekly basis, over 500 people attend this church. I'm only one person. I'm only one person. There's no way that I can serve 500 people. It's impossible. It is impossible. It's impossible. No way. I can't do it. I just can't. See, because every person in this room is a minister of Jesus Christ. Every person in this room was created by God to do ministry, to be a servant. Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you'll become a servant of all. This morning, I'm going to challenge us as a congregation, as a church, to take this next step, to get connected. Find the needs. Find the needs. Look at the needs around you in your workplace. Look at the needs around you in your local church. Get connected. Find a, you know, it's great to celebrate the goodness of God and praise and worship on a Sunday morning. So many people, they they don't feel connected. And and the reason you don't feel connected is because you haven't developed relationships. And we're going to give opportunities here. We're going to do our part. We're going to make it available. But I'm going to challenge you to take the next step to do your part. See, there's God's part, and then there's your part. And your part is to take the next step you to bow your heads. Lord, I ask right now for every person in this room, every person that has a card, Father, I pray that as you begin to speak to them right now, God, I pray that your blessing will be upon their life. We thank you, Holy Spirit of God, that you are doing a work that only you can do at City Church.
Father, we thank you this morning that the challenge before us is to serve one another. God, to find the needs in our community. God, we ask right now for your Holy Spirit, God, to touch our hearts, to recognize that within each of us there is a desire to do something significant. God, to live our lives with significance, meaning, and purpose. God, as we take this next step today, speak to us, direct us, and lead us in your wonderful name. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message, Connecting with One Another with Lead Pastor Eugene Smith. For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407-321-9600.